word tonight and everybody's agreeing with me, Lord, we ask you tonight as we get into this word, Lord, that you'll come powerfully upon this time, and Lord, that you would anoint this time, I ask you to, um, by the power and presence of the Holy Spirit, to captivate us, Lord, to give you our best ear and our full attention, help us, Lord, we need that, we need you to really tune our minds into what you're trying to show us, Holy Spirit. The Bible talks about those that have eyes to see and ears to hear. We ask you, Holy Spirit, to help us. But Father, let the power and presence of the Holy Spirit touch people's eyes, their ears, to be able to see and hear and understand, to tune our hearts and minds into you and really receive everything. Let there be a washing of the water word. Let there be a light shining forth that dispels the lies of the enemy and the darkness and the deception and brings truth and revelation. Let your word be as a hammer that breaks down the strongholds. Let it be as a sword that cuts away what needs to go. And let it, of course, be as seeds of truth, living seeds sown into people's lives, watered by the Spirit, and will take root, grow, and produce a hundredfold harvest of eternal fruit till Jesus comes, Lord. We believe that what happens tonight, this word, let your Spirit get behind it, and like a wind, just carry it everywhere it's supposed to go. Let your angels, Lord, watch over the word and make sure everything's accomplished so that your will to be done. And we apply the blood over your word and we bind anything the enemy would try to do. I command to go in Jesus' name away from this word. We thank you for it. All right. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do my best with this, okay? We're going to look at Revelation 18 and 19 tonight. And I'm going to explain about the kingdoms of the world. Would you give me your best ear? And truthfully, this won't be um, extremely long. But let me say this. Adam was basically given in the Garden of Eden, Adam was given authority over the world as we know it. So Adam had the fall not happened, and they had done what they said, what God told them to rather, and multiply and fill the earth. There would have been kingdoms. There would have been areas that Adam would have basically overseen everything and would have been the ruler. He would have, you know, and Jesus is referred to as the last Adam. But anyway, because of Adam's fall, he basically gave his authority because the Bible gives us a principle, you become the slave of the one you serve. He gave his authority over to the devil. And so Satan became the little G, okay? God of this world, the, the prince of the power of the air, kind of the, the ruler that Adam gave him that for a time until Adam's lease runs out, okay? And that his, Adam's lease is going to run out when Jesus comes. So we're talking tonight about kingdoms, and we're talking about how kingdoms have changed hands. It started that God invested the authority in Adam, but Adam gave it to Satan. And how many know Satan isn't going to give it up? But when Jesus comes, Jesus is going to take it and break his power and take it from him, okay? So there's going to be a changing of hands of rulership over this world system. So if you've been following this series, I'm going to say things in here tonight that you may not understand if you haven't listened to all the sermons, but just bear with me. But as I've, I've dealt with Jezebel some the last two weeks, but Jezebel and Leviathan are world rulers and they're going to be very influential in these last days. So let me give you a couple things. So what we're going to deal with is the kingdoms and then toward the end of this, I'm going to deal with how Satan's kingdom tries to brainwash people and mess with people's minds. We're going to deal with that. And that's in the Bible, and it's in the last days. How many knows that God tells us to renew our minds for a reason? 
We need our minds to line up with God's word, and we're not going to be swayed by any deception. All right, so just as an intro, picking up where I left off last week, Jezebel is a, in a religious sense, will be the spirit presiding over the false church. In Revelation 17, it shows this harlot riding the beast. And that's referring to that there's going to be a false prophet and there's going to be a false church that's going to preach a false gospel. And that's already in the earth and it's already on the move, okay? You see that with things like uh, the Vatican and others that are trying to unify all the religions of the world and bring all that together. I don't want to go rabbit trail back into that. I've already taught on it. But Jezebel has a lot to do with that harlotry right there. But that's a religious movement. It's a movement that has to do with the false prophet. But also, though, Jezebel also has a lot to do with the secular world system, what the Bible calls the spirit of the world. And, and I'll get into that as we go. But again, I'm, I'm reading from the notes here. Jezebel, in a religious sense, is a spirit presiding over the false church, the false gospel, and the false prophet. But in a secular sense, Jezebel is the seducing spirit of the world. You guys remember how Paul had a guy named Demas that traveled with him? And it said, Demas forsook me loving this world. Look, there's a seduction about the world. There's a pull that this world system has into it where there's always something that's trying to suck you into, uh, you know, come make money and, and trying to pull you into the entertainment realm and, and suck you into the world system as we know it. And the Bible shows us that we're supposed to be in this world, but we're not supposed to be of the world. So you can't allow yourself to get too caught up with this world system. And I mean that even economically, and y'all need to hear me. Economically speaking, the world system, this Babylonian system, is under the jurisdiction of spirits that have nothing to do with Christ's kingdom. And I'm not saying it's wrong to invest or anything, but you need to use a lot of wisdom and make sure that you're being led by the spirit. And what Steve Hill said, and I quote so many times, he said, we've got to keep our head up and our feet moving and don't allow your feet to get sunk down too deep into the soil of this world. And I'm going to quote Derek Prince here in 1 Kings 21-24. Uh, Derek Prince said this, he said, it describes Ahab's wickedness even more succinctly. It says, but there is no one like Ahab, the Bible says, who sold himself to do wickedness in the sight of the Lord because Jezebel's wife stirred him up. To whom did Ahab sell himself? To Satan, of course, the author of wickedness. He made a bargain with the devil. Ahab's wife Jezebel prefigures the harlot or false church. She persecuted and put to death the true prophets of the Lord and promoted the false prophets. Now listen to what Derek Prince says here. Her tactics represent what we can expect, the false church at the end of the age. In times of moral decline, false prophets multiply. Did y'all catch that? In times of moral decline, false prophets multiply. Elijah was one of the only true prophets of his era, and Jezebel had over 800 that ate at her table and that she endorsed. Let me say that again. Elijah was one of the only true prophets of his era, while Jezebel had over 800 that ate at her table. It, Jeremiah was likely the only true prophet of his day. Did you guys ever think about that when you read the, the book of Jeremiah? Did you know that scholars agree that it is possible 
that Jeremiah was the only living true prophet toward the end of his life. And he had to stand up with boldness and speak the word of the Lord, though it put him in prison and he was very persecuted for it. But he was still right. And also, you remember reading the story about Micaiah? You ought to you know, look this up in the Bible. But Micaiah was the only true prophet. There was all these other false prophets that were surrounding Ahab and tell him, go to battle, you'll be successful. And Micaiah stood up and, and they, you know, he basically said, you're going to die in battle. And Ahab got all mad because, see, there's something about the Jezebel spirit that loves that false prophecy stuff, but it hates the true word of God. And that was the true word of the Lord. Even though it's not what they wanted to hear, it was still the true word of God. Let me know that true prophetic voices are not always going to tell you what you want to hear. They're going to tell you the truth. And so we're living in a time where we really need to draw close to Jesus and know his voice and his presence. See, I've acclimated in my life personally, spending time with the Lord and in his presence, I've acclimated myself where I know and I'm familiar with his presence. And so when I get around stuff that kind of feels a little funky and off, I can tell the difference. But some people live their life in what would be considered kind of spiritually funky. And so that's what they're used to. And so when they go places like that, it's familiar to them and they, they, they like it. They feel at home or something. But I want to know the real. I want to know the true. I want the authentic. I want what's truly God. So that's kind of dovetailing what we've been talking about. Now let's go into the kingdoms of this world. Satan rules this world system temporarily. I'm hoping by the end of this, Revelation 18 and 19, will make a lot more sense to you. But let me read this to you as well. Have you ever heard the phrase, the fifth column? This is really interesting. It was used frequently before and during World War II. Its origins are particularly interesting. In 1936... During the Civil War in Spain, a Spanish general was leading an attack on a city occupied, occupied by his opponents. Another general came to him and asked him, General, what is your plan to take this city? And the general answered, Well, I have four columns advancing on the city, one from the north, another from the south, yet another from the east, and one from the west. And he paused and added, but it is my fifth column that I expect will actually take the city. And the second general asked him, where's your fifth column? And the general said, it's inside the city. The fifth column was comprised of traitors who would ultimately undermine the city's defenses from within. And this is exactly how Satan defeats the church today. He tries to attack from within the unconsecrated areas within people's lives and are their very downfall. All those that are able to be used of Satan from within local churches are Satan's greatest weapons. How many knows it's not the attacks from the outside a lot of times that are devastating? It's really not. It's the attacks from the inside. That's why the Holy Spirit has me talking sometimes about things like inner healing and let God deal with your wounds and, and these things within you because people that have inner healing issues and they're easily offended and they're real sensitive people, they, they have a tendency to get offended about anything and then next thing you know, they're causing problems. That's why you hear me talking about 
the dangers of things like a Jezebel spirit because people that allow that thing to influence them, it's like a virus. It begins to influence their thinking and their emotions. They find themselves starting to manipulate and control and buck up against authority. And whenever somebody has to deal with that, they're inside the church. So they usually start really trying to cause problems and Leviathan too. Leviathan is notorious for that. So what I'm saying is this, make sure that every area of your life is consecrated unto God. Don't give the devil a place. The people that have unforgiveness, that have offenses in them, that have tendencies toward pride and Leviathan, that have tendencies toward Jezebel, Satan loves the fact that they're sitting in churches because if they don't deal with those issues and they leave them unresolved in themselves, Satan knows that at a key time down the road, at a strategic time when it's time for that church to move forward, he can tap them on the shoulder. Next thing you know, they're offended and starting to cause problems inside the church. And it can really try to, Satan can use that to really set things back. It can be a big hindrance. So let's consecrate every area of our lives and not allow ourselves to be the fifth column of the devil's kingdom, amen? Don't allow yourself to be a part of that because 90% of the time, when people are doing that stuff, I'd say 99%, they don't even realize that they're being used of the devil till after the fact. The smoke clears, the damage is done, and then they kind of come to their senses and realize, man, look at what I did, you know? And so it's this stuff that we got to deal with within ourselves. So I'll close this thing out today talking a little bit about the fast that we're going to be going into. But the kingdom changing hands, y'all ready? In John 12, 31, Jesus said, now is the time for judgment on this world. The prince of this world will be driven out. So Jesus calls him the prince of this world. Uh, John 16, 11, the prince of this world now stands condemned. John 14, 30, I will not say much more to you for the prince of this world is coming and he has nothing in me. How many of you guys want to be like Jesus and be able to say that I have so surrendered everything to the Lord. I have so allowed God to consecrate my life. Whatever was there, I have really consecrated and repented and let God clean me out so much so that the devil no longer has a place in me. How many want to feel that way? And Jesus also said in John 18, 36, my kingdom is not of this world. So it's a very interesting thing. The kingdoms of this world were given to the devil for a time. Look at this. In Luke 4, verse 5, it says, and he led Satan, led Jesus up and showed him all the kingdoms of this world in a moment of time. Let me read that again. And he, speaking of Satan, led Jesus up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to him, I will give you all this domain, all these kingdoms, all of its glory. It was handed over to me and I give it to whomever I wish. So who gave it to the devil? Adam did. He said, therefore, if you will worship before me, it'll be yours. So Satan was trying to tempt Jesus and say, if you'll just worship me, I'll give it to you. Adam gave it to me. You know this and I'll give it to you. But Jesus answered, it is written. How many knows we need to know the Bible and you need to use the Bible against the devil? It is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. So right now, these kingdoms of this world system lie under the jurisdiction of, of Satan. It was given to him by Adam. 
until Adam's lease runs out. And during this time, Satan has set up principalities and powers, and Satan loves it whenever evil, corrupt leaders are over nations. That's, and he's, he's trying to manipulate the nations of the world. And ultimately, we know that he's going to bring forth an antichrist, a false messiah, and give him his throne to rule over the nations. I'm getting ahead of myself, but I'll come back to it. When Jesus comes, when he comes, then he will take over the kingdoms of the world, but not before then. Our kingdom right now, the kingdom of God, is a spiritual kingdom. That's why Jesus said, my kingdom is not this world. And that's also why he said over and over, when he would come into a place, Jesus would say, the kingdom of God has come upon you. What's he talking about? He's talking about heaven invading earth. He's talking about the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. You realize that Jesus walked in that spiritual kingdom. He had an open heaven over his life. And wherever he went, he would pray and things like this would happen. He would bless the bread and the fish. And he would break off, like he had the bread and the fish, he would break off a piece and give it and it would grow back. And he'd break off a piece and give it, it grow back. Jesus lived in that realm of supernatural provision. He lived in a realm by the leading of the Holy Spirit that he walked on water. He lived in a realm where he prayed for the sick and they recovered. He was walking in that spiritual kingdom and whenever he ascended, he said, the Holy Spirit will come upon you to be my witnesses and he basically clothed us with power so that we also can walk in the spiritual kingdom. But our warfare right now, Paul made it very clear, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal they're not worldly they're not machine guns and grenades our weapons are spiritual weapons fighting a spiritual battle and he said in ephesians 6 our warfare is not against flesh and blood you know why because it's not going to be that until jesus comes back when he comes back he'll deal with that but right now our our warfare is spiritual so our warfare is a spiritual kingdom clashing with a dark kingdom to release the kingdom of God and see a harvest of souls brought in to see the sick healed and the demonized delivered. It's the power of God breaking into this world system and saving the lost and bringing healing and deliverance. And that's where we live right now. We're living in a time where under the old covenant time, things were leading up to this but it's interesting because we're living right now in what's known as the church age or the church dispensation. And right now the Holy Spirit is preparing for Christ's coming. But when Jesus comes back, Jesus is going to spend that thousand years preparing for the Father's coming. So the ultimate clash, you can feel it stirring. You know, we're living in the last days. You can feel it stirring now. There's a rage. Satan knows that his time is near. He sees end time prophecy being fulfilled and Satan knows a lot more about it than most Christians. He sees a lot of things going on. He knows and there's this rage going on in the world, just a raging in the spirit. It's, and it's gonna get worse. I believe the reason why the last days are so bad, obviously God's judgment's coming on the earth. Don't Please don't think I'm taken away from that. But also it's because Satan will do everything within his power to stop the coming of the Lord and to try to not relinquish 
the control of this world and the kingdoms of this world. They're going to have to forcefully be taken from him by Jesus Christ. So you're dealing, you're, we're living in this, this cosmic match between God and the devil. This is clash. All right, so let me show you this in Revelation 18. So Revelation 17 is the spiritual. Now Revelation 18 is the natural kingdoms of the world that the Antichrist will rule over, okay? He said, after these things, I saw another, another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority. And the earth was illuminated with his glory. And he cried out in a mighty voice saying, fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She has become a dwelling place for demons and a prison for every unclean spirit and a prison of immorality. I'm sorry. For all the nations were drunk with the wine of the passion of her immorality. And the kings of the earth had committed acts of immorality with her. And the merchants of the earth had become rich by her wealth and sensuality. So let me explain that. You know what this is? Fallen, fallen means this. The first fallen is the spiritual kingdom. The second fallen is the natural Babylonian system. So in other words, that false church is going to fall first. And then the kingdoms of this world will fall next. See, what's going to happen is this. God is going to start bringing his judgment down upon the earth during the tribulation time. And it's going to be a lot like when Pharaoh would not let God's people go and God sent those plagues. The judgments of God that are coming that you read about, and I'll, I'll probably teach on them later, but the judgments that are coming upon the earth where the water is going to become bitter and, and, and blood and there's going to be hailstones and war and all the things that's going on it's literally going to cripple the economy does this make sense it's got see egypt was a wealthy powerful nation but god sent these plagues and it totally wiped out their crops it wiped out their cattle their water was was uh, turned to blood i mean literally everything about egypt was so crippled and broke down that they really struggled economically and that's what god's going to do He's going to send his judgment on this world system that's going to unite itself under the Antichrist. And it's going to be this whole world system the Bible calls the Babylonian world system. And it's going to be very wicked and very evil in the eyes of God. And it's all going to be about decadence and luxurious living and, and, and people being greedy and selfish. And they're just wanting to have everything that they can possibly gain in this world system. And then God's going to begin to release these judgments and it's going to cripple the economy. Just like, for example, there could be things that happen in America, major natural disasters that could really hurt the economy. And all the while that these judgments are coming down on the earth and they're coming down, there's going to be people that are left behind. They're not going to be caught up in the rapture. But during that time, they're going to be martyred for the faith. And while the judgments of God are coming down, the people of God are leaving. And it's a picture and type of Egypt. While the judgments of God came down on Egypt, also the people left Egypt, okay? Is this making sense? And he said, I heard another voice saying, come out of her, my people, so that you will not participate in her sins and receive her plagues. It is extremely important, and some people don't want to hear this, but it is extremely important that we are not worldly. It is extremely important that we have separated ourselves as holy unto God and we're not participating in the sins of this world because the judgment that comes from God will come on those that participate in the sins of the world, whether they call themselves a Christian or not. 
It says, For her sins have piled up to high, as high as the heavens, and God has remembered her iniquities, to pay her back even as, it, as she paid out, to give back to her double according to her deeds in the cup which she has mixed, mixed twice as much for her, to the degree that she glorified herself and lived sensuously, to the same degree give her torment and mourning. For she has said in her heart, I sit as a queen, I'm not a widow, and will never see mourning. For this reason, in one day, her plagues will come, pestilence, mourning, famine. She'll be burned up with fire, and the Lord God judges her strong. And the kings of the earth who committed acts of immorality and lived sensuously with her will weep and lament over her when they see the smoke of her burning, standing at a distance because of the fear of her torment, saying, Woe, woe, the great city Babylon, the strong city, for in one hour your judgment has come. And the merchants of the earth, who are the merchants? These are people that buy and sell, trade. The merchants of the earth will weep and mourn over her because no one buys their cargoes anymore. The cargoes of gold, silver, and precious stones, and pearls, fine linen, purple, silk, and scarlet, every kind of citron and wood, every article of ivory, every article made that's very costly, wood, bronze, iron, and marble, all the cinnamon and spices, all of that, the cargoes, the horses, the chariots, the slaves, all of this is gone. What it's saying here is that the kings of the earth, they've aligned themselves with the Antichrist. There's great prosperity and wealth and abundance. Things seem to be going good. All of a sudden, God says, I'm not going to put up with it anymore. The judgment of God starts coming down on the earth. And all these people, they've lived in luxury. They've had prosperity. And now they see the world system burning. They see things going up in smoke. They see destruction. They see their finances dwindling. And they mourn and weep over that system that God is destroying. This Babylonian system of the world, you guys can look at it for yourselves right now and see that it's definitely not under the jurisdiction of Jesus Christ yet, okay? Satan is the, the prince of the, the world right now, but they're ultimately the nations will align with the Antichrist, and when they do, and God moves out, pulls out his remnant, the judgment's going to start coming on this world. But there's going to be a great unleashing of the demonic in the earth. This is a very weird portion of Scripture. It says in Revelation chapter 9, verse 1. But let me give some context about this. You've got to understand, you guys that have been studying the end times with me, you remember reading in Revelation where it says that the world worshiped the dragon. Remember that? It says the world worshiped the dragon. They worshiped the Antichrist. They worshiped his image. So who's the dragon? Satan. So the Bible says, not my opinion, the Bible says in the last days that the whole world will be worshiping Satan. That's what the Bible says and the Antichrist and his image. So you have to understand, in context, this makes more sense. It says that there's going to come a time. This may be already happening some because of the occult activity in the world and Satanism and things, but there's going to come a time. In Revelation 9 1, it says, The fifth angel sounded, and I saw a star from heaven which had fallen to the earth. This is a fallen angel. And a key to the bottomless pit was given to him, and he opened the bottomless pit, and smoke out of this pit arose out of it like the smoke of a great furnace. And the sun and the air were darkened by the smoke of this pit. Then out of the smoke came locusts upon the earth, and power was given them, as scorpions on the earth have power. They were told not to hurt the grass of the earth, nor any green thing, nor any tree, but only to hurt men 
who did not have the seal of God on their foreheads. And they were not permitted to kill anybody, but to torment for five months. And their torment was like the torment of a scorpion that stings a man. And in those days, men will seek death and will not find it. They will long to die, but death will flee at them, elude them. The appearance of the locusts was like horses prepared for battle. And on their heads appeared to be crowns of gold and their faces like the faces of men. They had hair like women and their teeth like lions. Their breastplate was iron and the sound of their wings was like chariots and many horses rushing to battle. They have tails like scorpions and, and stings and the tails is, I'm sorry, their tails is their power to hurt men for five months. They have as king over them the angel of the abyss. His name in Hebrew is Abaddon. In Greek, it's Apollyon. So there's going to come a time during the tribulation period, very strange portion of scripture, there's going to be a fallen angel hit the earth and open up this gate of hell, this portal, and out of hell itself is going to come out all of these demonic spirits that are going to be released in the earth to torment people. Isn't that something? But you have to understand that these people, the very first thing God is going to do is those that they didn't make the rapture, they're here, okay? Those that are here, the very first thing God's going to do is seal people that are his. Many of them will die martyrs because of the persecution against Christians. But they're still, they're, it's like they're marked by God. They're sealed by God. But things are going to get so dark in the world that the world is going to become more filled with demonic spirits. And the torment that comes from the demonic spirits. But these people that are being tormented by the demonic realm are also people that took the mark of the beast and they're going along with this world system so let me talk to you real quick about the spirit of the world in some churches right now you can preach with great anointing and power you can bring a powerful world and people but even though you bring a word like that you bring a great anointing it seems like some people are totally unmoved I've seen it over and over where people really get touched by God and other people don't you guys ever seen that some people get really touched by God other people don't it's like this explosion of power the anointing is there but first Corinthians 2 11 shows us that there is a spirit of the world and even in the churches among these good people the spirit of the world can reign over them people have little time for God and for prayer they spend most of their time watching TV on their cell phone on their iPad, on their laptop, or whatever it is, and they're unwilling to make any significant sacrifice for the kingdom. They don't pray. They don't read the Bible. They're not involved in the things of God. They always, they don't want to be put out as far as their own personal convenience. They act religious, but the spirit of the world still has them in bondage. So even though they go to church and they're good people, that they're in bondage to the spirit of this present world. How many of you guys can see it in the entertainment industry? Somebody truthfully would have to be, um, what's the nicest way? They'd have to be totally blind, completely, okay? Like spiritually totally blind to not look at the in entertainment industry and see all of the, the occult and witchcraft, the sexual perversions, the extreme grotesque violence, all the weird stuff that's out there in the music industry, the, the perverted sexual dance, people taking their clothes off, all the stuff that's going on, and really now more and more the occult just being in all of it, all of that going on, you'd have to be blind to not see that there's a spirit behind that. 
So it's the spirit of this present world. It's the spirit, this spirit, this harlot spirit, this Babylonian spirit, which I believe has a lot to do with Jezebel myself. That spirit, in a religious sense, is trying to bring together the religions of the world and prepare for the rise of the false prophet. But in a secular sense over here, it's moving over the nations and is trying to prepare the nations for the rise of the Antichrist. And that's why the Bible says when it talks about the judgment, it says, come out of her, my people, and that I will pay her back. And it's talking about a her spirit. It's a, I believe it's Jezebel, but it's the spirit of this present world that's going to come under great judgment one day. It's really quiet in here, guys. This is not normal for River of Life, okay? Y'all got to say something. I feel like I'm losing people. All right, so Revelation 18 is dealing with this, this world system. I've already preached on this and taught on this, but remember how there's going to be the 10 kingdoms of, this, of, of the world that's going to align itself with the Antichrist. Remember that? The 10 horns, the, the seven heads and 10 horns and all of that. There's... There's this system in the world. And the Bible uses all this symbolism, but it's an evil world system and there's a spirit over it. But Revelation 19, and Daniel, the prophet Daniel saw that statue that had the kingdoms of the world, but it showed that in the end, after you got past, and you guys remember this, the legs of iron, then the 10 toes, the 10 toes were those 10 kingdoms. But after that, he saw a stone come and strike the toes and the entire statue crumbled. That's the coming of Christ striking at the 10 kingdoms, that Babylonian system that's under the Antichrist, okay? He's going to strike that system and it's going to crumble before him and he's going to take over. So let me read about the coming of Jesus in Revelation 19, starting with verse 1. After these things, I heard someone, something like a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven saying, Hallelujah, salvation, glory, and power belong to our God because his judgments are true and righteous. He has judged the great harlot. Remember, the great harlot in a religious sense is over the false church, but in a secular sense, it's the spirit of the world. It's over this evil world system. And it says Jesus' judgment is true. He's judged this harlot, fallen, fallen, the, the spiritual and the secular, who corrupted the earth with her immorality. He has avenged the blood of his bondservants. And a second time they said, Hallelujah, her smoke rises forever. And the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshiped God who sits on the throne saying, Amen, Hallelujah. And a voice came from the throne saying, Give praise to our God, all you his bondservants who fear him small and great. Then I heard something like the voice of a great multitude, like the sound of many waters, like a sound of mighty peals of thunder saying hallelujah for the Lord our God the almighty reigns I believe just my personal opinion really studying this out the first three and a half years of what we know as the days of Jacob's trouble or the tribulation the first three and a half years are going to be the judgment of Christ the judgment of the lamb for the way the world treated Christians Look at the way it's happening even right now leading up to it with things like ISIS and all that. But Jesus is going to bring his judgment. But then it's like things kind of come to a completion and the Antichrist sits in the middle. Remember, he sits in the, in the temple in Jerusalem, declares himself to be God. 
and then he releases his the antichrist releases his wrath against the jewish people and they scatter and two-thirds of them are going to die and so the second half of the tribulation called the great tribulation is going to be god the father's wrath coming down on the world for the way they treated israel but notice this here first you have the marriage supper then you have the second coming so here we go the marriage supper of the lamb verse 7 let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory for the marriage of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready it was given to her uh, to clothe herself with fine linen bright and clean for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints how many of you guys in the spiritual you want to be clothed in white garments and be holy before God amen I don't want the world the, the darkness the filth of this world on me I want to be clothed in white before God then he said right blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the lamb because not everybody's going to be there and he said to me these are the true words of God then I fell at his feet and worshiped him but he said do not do that I'm a fellow servant of yours but you see that the marriage supper it's like all of a sudden the catching away of the bride happens and there's a marriage supper while the judgment of God is coming on this Babylonian system the world is going through this terrible time I don't know about you, but I want to be at the marriage supper. I don't want to be hanging out here. All right. Then after the marriage supper, the coming of Christ, verse 11, I saw the heavens open and behold a white horse. Jesus has got a white horse, guys. And he's coming back and you better be riding with him and not be coming against him when he comes on this horse. When he came the first time, he came as a loving savior. He came as the lamb. But when he comes the second time, he's going to crush anybody that gets in his way. I'm just telling you, that's what the Bible says. He said, I saw, it says, I saw heaven open, behold, a white horse. And he who sat on it is called faithful and true. And in righteousness, he judges and makes war. His eyes are a flame of fire. On his head are many diadems, many crowns. He has a name written on him, which no one knows but himself. He's clothed with a robe dipped in blood. And his name is called the word of God. The armies which are in heaven clothed in fine linen white and clean were following him on white horses that sounds a lot like those that were at the marriage supper don't it doesn't it the armies of heaven clothed in pure white linen it just said before that that was us at the marriage supper at least i'm, I'm planning on being there i hope y'all are with me guys okay i'm gonna be there it says the armies which are in heaven clothed in fine linen white and clean were following him on horses so those of us that are gonna be at the marriage supper we got horses they're in heaven guys we got horses you don't know them yet but they're there from his mouth comes a sharp sword so that with it he will strike down the nations you gotta understand something I want you to picture just close your eyes for a minute I want you to picture Jesus coming down from heaven from the skies coming down and when he speaks the word of God the whole nations are shaking under the power of what he's speaking think about that when he comes I mean it's going to be so powerful it says the word of his mouth the sword of his mouth will strike down the nations he will rule over them with a rod of iron he will tread down the winepress of fierce wrath you know what that means there's going to be a lot of bloodshed he's going to crush his enemies the winepress those that are dumb enough to turn on him and those armies are going to actually try to launch like you know whatever they're going to shoot at him or whatever like bullets are going to hurt jesus right and they're just going to be crushed before him 
And on his robe and on his thigh is a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords, which I believe has to do with the prayer shawl that dangles down over his thighs. Then I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he cried out with a loud voice, saying to all the birds which fly in heaven, Come assemble for the great supper of God, so that you may eat the flesh of kings, the flesh of commanders, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses, and those that sit on them. All that are small and great. And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and the armies assembled to make war against him. So the angels summoning the birds of prey, eagles and hawks and all these to come and feast on all the people that actually had the nerve to turn on Jesus. Millions of people slaughtered. But look at this. So what is going to happen to the beast and the false prophet? Okay. <clears throat> it says, I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and the armies assembled to make war against Jesus who sat on the horse and against his army. Skip down underneath it says the doom of the beast and the false prophet and I'll come back to that other one. Revelation 19.20 And the beast, which is the Antichrist, was seized. With him the false prophet who performed the signs, remember signs and wonders in his presence, by which he deceived those who received the mark of the beast and rose I'm sorry, and those who worship the image. These two were thrown alive into the lake of fire, which burns with brimstone. And the rest were killed with the sword, which came from the mouth of him who sat on the horse. And all the birds were full. They were filled up with the flesh of those that opposed Jesus. So the Antichrist and the false prophet are going to be seized and bound and thrown into hell alive. Everybody else is going to get there through death. They're going to be thrown alive into the, into the fire. Now go back up to Revelation 11, 5. It says, the seventh angel sounded his trumpet. See, this was earlier in the book of Revelation. They were announcing the coming of the Lord. And then you go to Revelation 19 and you see it unfold. But look at this. They were announcing this earlier. They said, um, loud voices in heaven which said, the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdom of our Lord, of his Messiah, and he will reign forever and ever. So the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdoms of Christ, the kingdom of Christ. It will be brought under his rulership. When he comes, he's going to throw the false prophet and the Antichrist straight into hell. He's going to slaughter the armies that are opposing him. He's going to put his feet on the Mount of Olives, and the Mount of Olives is going to split in two. He's going to walk into Jerusalem. He's going to sit in the temple area, and he's going to rule from Jerusalem for a thousand years. The Bible says that. And what he's going to do is, the Bible says in Matthew, you can look this up, he's going to first, he's going to judge the sheep and goat nations. This is very interesting. See, the sheep and goat nations are being determined right now. The sheep nations are nations that are dealing kindly with Israel. The goat nations are like Iran that want the destruction of Israel. And when Jesus comes, I'm going to tell you, he's going to separate the sheep and goat nations and the goat nations, he's going to throw them into hell. The sheep nations are going to be the ones that populate the earth and they're going to be under his rulership. And he's going to reign for a thousand years and he's going to return the earth back to the Garden of Eden that Adam and Eve messed up. Did y'all hear that? When Jesus comes and he reigns for a thousand years, even after he sits enthroned, he's going to judge the nations. He's going to get rid of the goat nations. And he's going, to, he's going to let the sheep nations repopulate the earth. But he's going to restore the earth back to that original paradise, the Garden of Eden, that God intended it to be. 
And because Satan is bound and his demons are gone or whatever, people are going to live longer. There's going to be more health. Things are going to be like they were supposed to be in the Garden of Eden. And the whole thousand years, think about how long a thousand years is. America's less than 250 years old. America, this is four times that. A thousand years is a long time. And they're going to be having children. Some of these children are never going to know anything but the rule of Jesus. And so God always gives everybody a choice. So at the end of the thousand years, God's going to allow the devil to come out and try to deceive people and talk to people and turn people against God. And some people are goofy enough to follow the devil again. And fire is going to come down and destroy them when they try to march against Jesus. But after Jesus has spent that thousand years getting everything ready, he allows there to be that final sifting. Peter saw the earth being consumed with fire and purged with fire. The great white throne judgment's going to happen. But ultimately after that, the Bible says that God the Father, the new Jerusalem, a city, a spiritual huge city is going to come down and sit on the earth. Did you know it's 1,500 miles? That city by itself is going to be as big as from Texas to California. One city. This new Jerusalem is going to come down and sit, and God the Father is going to come down from heaven to earth. And the Bible says the dwelling of God will be with man and man with God forever. So right now you're living in the dispensation where the Holy Spirit is moving, calling sinners to be saved and preparing for Christ's coming. All right, and I'll, I'll get more into things I'm just touching on as we go, like the judgments, and I'll get into the new heaven, new earth, and all of that. But there's going to be a river flowing from Jesus' throne. Did y'all know that? And there's going to be trees on the right and left, and when people get sick or something, they can go there, and the leaves are for the healing of the nations. Isn't that something? It's going to truly be a paradise when he comes. But let me close with this. This is kind of a warning. Revelation 18, look at this, the magic spell. This is a very interesting scripture. Revelation 18, 23. It says, the light of a lamp will not shine in you again. Talking about Babylon. The voice of a bridegroom and bride will never be heard in you again. Your merchants were the world's important people. Look at this. By your magic spell, all the nations were led astray. That's in the Bible, and that's an accurate translation. It can say by your sorcery. But it's something in the spirit that the, the demonic realm, especially that harlot, puts like a spell over people's minds. And people are coming under the influence of something. The Bible says this, guys. Y'all, th- this is not just something I'm saying here. It's so, there's something in the spirit realm where this harlot, this Babylonian system, puts like a spell over people's minds. And they're led astray. They're led into deception. See, right now, there's a lot more going on when you see some of these um, pop stars in concert and they're doing these weird satanic rituals and things on stage. Um, I know this is not politically correct, but have you guys ever known me to be that way anyway? But they're they're getting up there being all weird and doing this satanic stuff. There's more to that than just a concert. It's affecting people more than just being entertained. 
There's something going on. When people are watching these strange occult movies and stuff, there's more going on in them than just being entertained. There's a spirit of this world that's trying even now to begin to mess with people's minds and put something over them. So when the false prophet, when the false prophet begins to emerge, they're going to believe what he says and they're going to follow him and he's going to, of course, lead them to the Antichrist. This is why it's important. I mean, you guys were able to watch that clip I put up there, but if you weren't, go home. I, I put it on Facebook for you guys, but there's a clip that late night talk show host Conan, Conan O'Brien, that's right, I don't watch him, but this clip was really interesting. There was a preacher I saw that showed this, and I, I put it up there for you guys to watch. But it's just weird. Think about it. All over the nation, at the same time, there was all of these different news media people that were saying the exact same words. It was scripted. I mean, you guys saw it. If you didn't watch it, go watch it. Think about it for a minute that, I don't know, how many you think, 20? maybe some, at least 20, maybe 30. These, these are people throughout the nation, different cities that are saying the exact same words, not close, the exact same word. It was scripted. It had to be. So he was making a point. He said, this is scary. And the preacher that showed the clip said, it just goes to show that everything is being scripted that people are getting through the media. See, this secular world's media, I mean, come on, guys, you guys know this. You know that they report only what they want to the way they want to. They withhold information, but yet they'll give you slanted other information. What are they doing? They're trying to control millions of people's, um, the way they see things, the way they perceive it. They're trying to influence them. And it's this humanism, this liberal agenda, which I've already preached on, the Prince of Greece, that's preparing for the rise of the Antichrist. But it's messing with people's minds. It's like a brainwashing. So here's what the Bible says, 2 Corinthians 11, 3. It says, but I'm afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, that your minds may somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. What does it say? Your minds led astray. 2 Corinthians 4, 4, the God of this age, who is that right now temporarily? It's the devil until Jesus comes. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who's the image of God. In Ro Revelation, I'm sorry, it's supposed to be Romans 12, 1, it's a misprint there. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed. Look at this. Don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Did you see that? God is wanting our minds to be sanctified. Where we're not going to be led astray by that, what the Bible says is going to be some kind of a magic spell that messes with people's minds and leads them astray to follow the Antichrist. God doesn't want us even now this stuff is going on even now it's a preparatory thing it's happening now and people's minds are being led astray where they're accepting things as being okay that god hates and despises they're being totally desensitized to sin deuteronomy 22 9 
God warned not to allow mixtures. This is so interesting. He said, don't sow two different seed together. Don't mix two different materials together. He was trying to say prophetically, metaphorically for us today, don't mix things. Don't mix the things of God and the sinful things of the world and try to mix them together. It will produce something sterile. What happens whenever you mix a horse and a donkey? You get a mule, and a mule is sterile. It cannot reproduce. So the point is, when you try to take the holy things of God and mix it with the world, it's not going to produce something that's fruitful for the kingdom. And let me tell you, you guys know what I'm saying in this place. You're seeing it now more than ever before with all the entertainment and all the stuff going on in churches. They're trying to entertain people to Christ. We need a move of God. We need the Spirit of God to draw people to Christ. But they're trying to mix the world and the church together. It's producing spiritual sterility. Even Saul, remember King Saul, he tried to mix going to the prophets of God and then going to the witches. And he ended up tormented by demonic spirits, as we know in his life. You can't have that mixture. But the false church is an unfaithful bride, a harlot, and God will judge her and calls his true bride to come out of her and not share in her plagues. Let me read that again. The false church is an unfaithful bride, a harlot, and God will judge her but he calls his true bride to come out of her and not share in her plagues. Right now, as I'm talking right now, there is a movement of the Holy Spirit preparing a true bride for Christ. But the preparation of the Holy Spirit is what? It is to call us unto the holiness of God, that, that God is purifying his bride. He's cleaning us up. He's getting the sin out. He's getting the worldliness out. He's changing us. He's healing us up. He's delivering us from the bondage of the enemy. He's drawing us unto Christ. But there's also a movement in the world right now as I'm talking to prepare the false church. These are people that are totally okay with sin. They're totally okay with worldliness. And they're, they're um, caught up with all this unifying the religions of the world and coming under that weirdness. It's a false church with a false gospel. That false gospel does not require a born-again experience. It does not require repentance of sin. People can just say that they're a Christian, but the fruit of their life says otherwise. They don't really know God. They're what the Bible calls the harlot church, the false church. And I don't want to have anything to do with that false church, except see some of them get saved. But this is something else I want to quote Derek Prince again regarding, regarding pride and rebellion. Derek Prince writes this, all proud people have a king. Though they may not know it, his name is Satan. The moment you say, I know best, I can make my own way through life, I can handle this situation, I do not want to depend on God, you elect Leviathan as your king. This is the condition of the world, the kingdom of Satan. Satan rules over the rebels. Thus, those who rebel against God are under the dominion of Satan. You do not have to vote for Satan, all that is required is that you vote against God. The moment you do that, even if only in your heart, you elect Satan by default as your ruler. I know that's kind of deep, but what he's saying there is people that are prideful and people that are rebellious by default are coming under the jurisdiction of Satan as their ruler. 
You know, it's interesting, our pamphlets that we give out, what does it say on the front? Humility and repentance. That's what God's looking for, humility and repentance. We're going to be going into a fast. Guys, I'm going to close this out now, so just get ready, Brother Zach, to here in a moment. But we're going to be going into a fast this coming Thursday. We're starting it. I strongly encourage everybody to participate. It's going to go up to what is known as the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur. And it's going to be a time, everybody, of consecrating ourselves unto God. It's going to be a time of seeking God for breakthrough. But there's an interesting principle. I didn't even know about this. I just felt led by the Spirit to do this. But I found out that actually our Hebrew roots, the, the Jewish people have what they call the, the Slichot prayer time, 40 days before Yom Kippur every year. They do this every year. I didn't even realize that. But it's a time of repentance. They call it Teshuva, repentance. It's a time of making things right. If you feel like that you've wronged somebody, call them apologize make things right with people make things right with god and it's also a time they call um tzedaka. it's the the giving of alms and so i encourage people to give something during this time especially we'll take up a tabernacle offering but you know if god lays on your heart to do something for the poor something like that but listen adam fell by eating jesus overcame by fasting isn't that interesting there's a time this is a time of fasting where we're going to be consecrating ourselves we're going to be seeking God for breakthroughs, and I believe the old patterns are going to be broken. How many of you guys are ready to see some old things go, some old patterns go, some old strongholds go, and to really get the breakthrough so we can come into the fullness of everything God has? That's what we're going to be believing God for, okay? So let's go ahead and shut down recordings. Lord, I thank you for tonight. I thank you for helping us to understand that this world system lies under Satan's control and that it's gradually aligning itself for the coming of the Antichrist and false prophet. And Lord, you're going to judge that severely. You're going to come down with your judgments on the world. First, you're going to catch away your bride, but your judgments are going to come severely on the world and it's going to destroy the economy of this world. And Lord, when we look at this, we understand that your judgments are just and true. But we say, Lord, come quickly. We're hungry, Jesus, for you to come and catch away your bride. Wouldn't it be something if he came this year and we'd be at the marriage supper of the Lamb?